He said they call that a panty dropper. <laughs> <laughs> Modern. 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 We're prepping for a voyage. Modern. The force of an old-fashioned equals whiskey mass times bitters acceleration. Why don't you make that a double? Modern Bar Cart. What's happening, cocktail fans? Welcome back to another episode of the Modern Bar Cart Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Koslick, and I want you to make yourself a drink, but not just any drink today. I want you to make yourself a spritz. What's a spritz? You might ask. Well, it's a type of highball cocktail. So a little bit larger volume than a normal cocktail. And it's served in a tall glass, a Collins or a highball glass. And the key component of a spritz is the sparkling water or occasionally sparkling wine, depending on what kind of spritz you are making. Now, This episode's airing during the second week of August. I'm here in Washington, D.C., also known as The Swamp. And I don't know about you, but I've been kind of hot lately. And one great way to combat the heat is by taking a couple ounces of a clear spirit. Here, I've got a lovely gin from Green Hat uh, made by New Columbia Distillers. So we'll add that. And then... Next, you're gonna add a squeeze of citrus. So uh, in this case, I'm using lemon juice. I'll add that. And key tip here, try not to get it on the mic. And then I'm also adding a few dashes of embitterment lavender bitters, just for character. And you can pick those up on modernbarcart.com and have them shipped straight to your door. They're organic, they're delicious. And finally, I'm gonna to top it all off with some ice cold sparkling water. You can hear that nice fizz. I use pretty much the whole can there. So you're getting, uh, you know, you're hydrating while you're drinking, which is ultimately good for you. So if you're at home right now, grab yourself a bottle of clear spirits, some fruit or citrus, and If you've got a bottle, a few dashes of bitters, top that all off with some sparkling water and then rejoin me as soon as you can. We also enjoy a spritzer variation in today's episode, which is an interview with Aviva Goldfarb, who's an extremely accomplished cookbook author and meal planning guru who, fun fact, also happens to be a really talented and inspired home bartender. One of my favorite things about talking with Aviva is the passion she has for flavor. Her voice and her facial expressions just light up when she talks about the joy of food and drink. In this wide-ranging discussion, we cover a number of cocktail-related topics, including but not limited to homemade infused spirits and syrups, which is kind of the theme of this episode, Aviva's go-to cocktail accent flavors, creating a family-friendly cocktail culture, the keys to fun but effective recipe development, and much, much more. Aviva is a wealth of knowledge when it comes to cocktails and home entertainment, so I hope you'll take some time to visit the show notes and check out her latest recipes and her new projects. But for now, we've got a great show for you, so sit back Enjoy your spritzer, and also enjoy my interview with Aviva Goldfarb. Aviva, thanks for being on the show. You're welcome. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be on the Modern Bar Cart podcast. 
Awesome. So just to get us started here, do you mind for our listeners introducing yourself and talking about who you are and what you've been up to recently? My pleasure. So I have been in the professional food world for about 18 years. I have written four cookbooks and I just love developing recipes and playing around with food and flavors, but I really like to do things that are fresh and flavorful and usually healthy, but that don't take a ton of time. I like to kind of get it done and get it done quickly and kind of get the most flavor for the least amount of effort and make things seasonal too. So in addition to the cookbooks, I am the founder of the Six O'Clock Scramble, which is an online family meal planner, which I recently sold to a new owner. Um, and I also do some marketing and some blogging and some food writing and some travel writing. So a lot of other fun stuff, but most of the things focused around food and now a lot more around cocktails, which is how we discovered each other. Amazing. Yes. <clears throat> Very excited to, um, hear about what you're planning to do later on. Um, but it seems like between the cookbooks and the six o'clock scramble and all the marketing stuff you've done, you're my kind of person, which is a, a Renaissance woman just kind of seems like you uh, take yourself where the creativity leads you and not just the creativity, but also the flavors. So that's, yes. that's amazing. I, my friends will attest that I'm always into something new. And when I am into something, I go in pretty deep. So this summer is the summer of infusions, which we will talk about l later, I, I assume. And last summer was the summer of shrubs. Ah, yes. Love shrubs. Uh, I think uh, two weeks ago. Uh, I interviewed my friend Charlie Birkinshaw, who's the founder of Element Shrub. So he's a really good resource. So uh, folks, you should definitely check that episode out. And do you have any resources online about shrubs? I was just, I sort of talk to everybody, read a bunch of things, and then put it all away and do my own thing. Nice. And I do a little, sometimes I do some crowdsourcing on Facebook and Twitter. I tend to be very out there with whatever I'm doing and get feedback. I'm connected with a lot of wonderful food people and food writers. And so it's fun to get everybody's thoughts and feedback. And then at a certain point, you just have to shut it all down and turn on some music and play. Right. So I mean, I think you mentioned the infusions and it's kind of jumping in a little bit in the middle of things, but we have these uh, delightful drinks in front of us. So I figured before the ice melts and before they, they kind of go and change their characters, I was hoping that maybe we could just taste these and tell folks about what we made here with some of your infused spirits. Let's do it. So I recently, for some reason, I can't remember why, became obsessed with wanting to make my own alcohol infusions and liqueurs. And so I started doing some research and um, decided to kind of start with some basics. And these are the results of my first two experiments, of which I hope will be many. So we have here, the first one that we're going to taste is a, I made a um, lavender lemon infusion. And I got some, a lot of help from that from a woman named Nancy Baggett, who's the lavender queen. She writes cookbooks and articles and has a blog all focused on lavender. And um, so I used a lot of elements from her lavender limoncello recipe. And, um, and then I made a honey simple syrup and mixed those together to make a liqueur. And then to make a cocktail, I blended it with some fresh lemon juice and some soda. So we then decided we would add some of your wonderful lavender bitters today. So I haven't tried it that way yet. And we sprinkled a few lavender leaves on top and a little bit of lemon rind. Yes. So you go first. Oh, I'd love to. Uh, lavender and lemon. Uh, thank you. 
folks. Um, for those of you out there who are looking for uh, flavor combos, lavender and lemon just happens to be one of those flavors, uh, pairings that just works well always, always, always. So keep that in your back pocket. But do you have any idea why that is? I think lavender is such a beautiful floral flavor, but it can be a little bit heavy. And so I think that lemon kind of brightens it and lightens it. So I think that's why the combination might go so well together. How did it come out? Oh, it came out so and that, so And then I was thinking, well, honey would be so nice with those rather than sugar. So mm -hmm. I thought the honey syrup would do well. Yes. Honey syrup's interesting. I was actually talking really with, with Charlie uh, about this, Charlie from Element Shrub, and he, we were so, talking about different shrub bases. Mm -hmm. And I, it hadn't really occurred to me that the source of your sugar would play out to have such an important character on the, the flavor of the drink. So a honey syrup is just, you wouldn't think that it would be all that much different than a simple syrup, but it really is. It and really... even which honey you use. So I tasted the different honeys that I had, and I was looking for one that was not too heavy or flavorful because there were already such other interesting flavors in there. And some honeys right now that are popular on the market are pretty intense. Yeah. Uh... So it's definitely worth tasting. Once you've gone to all the effort to make the infusion and the liqueur, it's worth tasting the honey that you use before you, before you add that. For sure. I see a lot of dark honeys out there, like Tupelo honeys and orange blossom honeys. And those and that are... Manuka honey, which people are into right now, is pretty intense. Yes. So the honey world is a is its own strange thing. So definitely if, if you're out there looking to make a honey syrup, or maybe if you have a recipe, then uh, give us a shout out at Modern Bar Cart on Instagram. Find us on Facebook or just send us an email uh, if you have any recommendations that you'd like to share with the modern bar cart community on that front but so so that one the, the the last thing i'll say about this drink before we just turn to just enjoying it is the effervescence of the soda water in there i think is a really nice complement to the lavender and the lemon because the effervescence kind of lifts out some of those floral components and it seems like such a simple thing to do just to add sparkling to something but it really brings it to the next level so really really i think good idea to do that as well and I tend to not like my drinks too sweet. And so I tend to make my syrups a little bit on the not too sweet side or not add a ton of them. Um, I like things a little bit more citrusy and tangy and light instead. And you saw that I have my soda stream here. So we made our own soda here so I don't have to keep buying bottles of soda. But yeah, I think this one came out really nicely and I like it even more with the modern Barkhart lavender bitters in there. I'm definitely gonna start doing that. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's it's all I, I always bring whenever we we do a podcast interview. I always bring some stuff, and I just leave it. I just leave it behind because I know that the people who are on the podcast and who I, we actually get to sit down with are just gonna go crazy and be the mad scientists that create recipes using our stuff and tell their friends. So uh, I hope you have a good time with those bitters. But we have one other drink if you wanna just talk about that as well. So I um, I like spicy drinks too. And I decided to make an infusion. I was going to make a tequila jalapeno infusion. I grow my own jalapenos. It's like the easiest thing in the world to grow jalapenos. I don't succeed at everything, but those are easy. And I love that if you leave them long enough, they go from green to red. And so a lot of people don't know that with peppers in general, like with bell peppers, a green pepper is just an unripe pepper. And if you leave it long enough, that's why they're cheaper. If you let it ripen, they'll turn either orange or red or yellow or sometimes purple, which I don't like as much. Um, so this is a red jalapeno, and they do, I think, get a little spicier as time goes on. And I thought, as with other infusions, you were supposed to leave it in for a week or so. But then someone told me after it had been in there for a couple of days, 
infusing in vodka, which is a more neutral spirit, that you should just put it in for a couple of hours. So it got pretty spicy. And somebody else told me that what you want to do is just slice open the jalapeno, which I did, leave the seeds in. And I also put some basil in there because I thought that might be an interesting combination. So, of course, I had to make a Bloody Mary with the spicy jalapeno basil vodka. And I just added some tomato juice, thanks to you, and some horseradish, which and a little bit of lemon, again, just to brighten the flavor up, and some organic celery, of course. And we will see how this tastes. It might be pretty spicy. Are you ready for the challenge? I'm, I'm ready for it, yes. I like I like spice in drinks. If you can drink it with, yeah. that, with that celery in there, mm. without poking your eye out. Oh, that's lovely. Is it really spicy? No, it's not. It's actually, it's. I was kind of bracing myself. It's got a nice, um, a nice spicy aftertaste. The, the spice lingers on the palate a little mm, bit. I think it needs more vodka. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> go ahead, go ahead and sauce it up if you want to. Um, a couple good points that you made there. One, I really like the distinction between the red jalapeno and the green one. I think that's a really useful thing for folks to know, especially if they're going to put in the time and grow their own jalapenos at home because usually you know, you see the green ones on the vine and you say, oh, looks ready, and then you pick it. So it might be worth for a little flavor experiment at home if you've got a small or regular size outdoor garden, uh, try leaving some of those on and seeing what the flavor difference is like. And the other thing that I really like about the spiciness infusion is that, that I spent some time talking with uh, a flavor researcher, Dan McCall from Gettysburg College, and we talked a lot about the difference between flavor and taste, but spiciness, like effervescence, is one of those physical kind of mouthfeel things that influences a cocktail in a really interesting way that has nothing to do with flavor or taste or not so much to do with flavor or taste. So it's a nice little trick to have in your back pocket as a home bartender, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. One of my most popular home bartender drinks that most people take and recreate after I make it is a spicy pomegranate margarita. And just that element, because a margarita can be a little sweet and adding that element of spiciness just gives it an extra, you said it's not a flavor element, but an extra kick yeah whether whether you think excitement. of it as yeah depth or excitement or it, it's uh i think a lot what a lot of people are out there searching for is that secret ingredient the secret sauce that's just going to take it from uh from an eight to a mm-hmm. ten you know mm-hmm. so very cool so you you kind of uh talked about your infusions uh do you have any infusion plans Ooh. for the rest of the summer i know this is the summer of infusions well so what i was thinking about doing i definitely once i've made these I decided that I had to get some pretty jars, which I haven't done yet. And we're getting our our youngest child off to college next week. So I had to get all the college stuff for her first. But then I want to get a bunch of pretty jars and I want to make a whole bunch of infusions because I realized they're pretty while they're infusing. And at the same time that just coincidentally, at the same time that I was making my first batch of infusions, I was reading a novel that took place in France. And um, it was called Five Quarters of the Orange. And it was... The main character had grown up in a house where, partially by necessity, the family had made a lot of, done a lot of canning, but also made a lot of liqueurs. And just the idea of having your shelves lined with all these beautiful liqueurs and infusions sounded so appealing. So I wanted to get some pretty jars and I want to get a lot more. I was afraid to make too much of each of these the first time because I didn't want to waste too much money if they didn't come out well, but I think they came out pretty well. And then I thought, I'm definitely going to be blogging about these at avivagoldfarb.com. And then I thought I would have some infusion parties 
where I would have some friends over to my bar in the basement and I would get a bunch of the basics and a bunch of things that they could create their own infusions and all the jars and everything. I guess everybody would contribute a certain amount of money beforehand and they could go home with their own infusions. Yeah, it's really it's a really good time. Uh, I've done some bitters making classes like that where everybody I, I bring a ton of ingredients dried and fresh and we get together at a you know a place that that either sells our bitters or, or one of our one of our partners and you know it's it's really good fun to get people actually interacting with some of these ingredients oh. because as you know obviously some of the things that show up on our, on recipes aren't things that everybody has in their kitchen cabinet sometimes you got to go out and get it sometimes it's something that you didn't grow up using or aren't familiar with that's maybe a little bit foreign so those ways to like aggregate all those ingredients and give people that time to play with the flavors always turn out to be a, a really good time. Oh, now I want to go to one of your classes. Yeah, well, I can learn from it. We will follow us at Modern Bar Cart, and hopefully, we'll have some up here very soon. We partner with the cookery shop up on Wisconsin, um, so we recently did I one know there. That place. Well, yeah. excellent! I can't wait. Yes, yes, indeed. I always figure out, try to figure out ways like you do. It sounds like to turn things into a little bit of a social event. And to get other people, because I feel like for me, my kind of happiest and least stressful times are when I'm creating something. I guess that people talk about getting into your flow. And when you're doing that, you can't really be doing anything else. You know, you're just creating. And um, and it tends to be kind of a happy place for me. So I like to share that with other people and get them creating, which is why I've always liked to share successful recipes with people where they can make them and make them for their family or their friends and feel like they have a success and hopefully enjoy the process. Yeah, that's great. And, and, um, you know, so definitely check out Aviva's cookbooks. Do you want to just throw out a couple of titles? Yeah. So most of my cookbooks are under the six o'clock scramble name. So those are mostly, um, easy, healthy family cookbooks with a lot of meal planning elements. So they give you the plan for the week of what you can make and what you can buy for the week to make meals for your family. And um, who knows? So lately, my entertaining style, as my kids have gotten older, I have an 18 and a 20 year old now, has shifted a little bit to happy hour, as I, as we call it, where we'll have people over, and instead of making a family dinner or making a dinner party, we'll just make some things and buy some things, and I'll always make a signature cocktail, and um, and just kind of an easy form of entertaining that's very loose and people can come when they want and leave when they want and it's just a festive way to entertain. So maybe there'll be a cookbook like that in the future that I'm thinking about something a little bit more because of course I want to write about and really get into the way that I'm living my life now. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it seems like a, a period of transition. So hopefully as you get the chance to test out a few more of those, you will keep us all posted and we will see something cool. But so I, I have a question that I want to get to in a bit about actually um, cocktails and the family setting, which often involves children. But first, I kind of wanted to start a little bit more generally and ask you, you know, what are some of the biggest hurdles that people come up against that, that you've seen, whether it's in the food space or the cocktail space? What are some of the biggest hurdles for everyday people who have a nine to five job and they want to enjoy cocktails, but but there's something preventing them. What are some of the, the hurdles that you've seen and maybe ways that you've been able to identify as ways to get around those hurdles so that you can enjoy these flavors more? Um, sometimes I think people sort of overly complicate things. And so, you know, if you have a drink that you know how to make 
and that you love, maybe it was even your mom or your dad's favorite drink, you could start by just making a riff on that. So, you know, maybe make it spicy or make it more sour or add some bitters to it or do, you know, just do a little riff on something that you're comfortable with. Um, and and um, so sometimes I think just, you know, taking one flavor element and kind of building off of that will make you feel more successful about it. And um, the other day somebody asked me, people have been seeing a lot of my posts about cocktails on social media. So somebody said she posted a picture of a Long Island iced tea recipe and she said, Aviva, how would you make this recipe good? And I said, I wouldn't because a Long Island iced tea is just a whole bunch of things mixed together and there's no way you can make that good, in my opinion, um, because it's so many different alcohols and Coke and, you know, whatever it is. It's just meant to get you drunk in college. So um, so for me, like I'd rather have a, a nice vodka or gin and squeeze some fresh lime, not lime out of one of those plastic limes over it and maybe add a little bit of simple syrup in there or something over ice and call that, you know, a great cocktail and sit out and enjoy it and have some really good cheese and crackers and maybe like a can of sardines, which I know might sound kind of weird to other people, but I like them. I love sardines. <laughs> um, I, I think one of the things that that stood out to me with, with what you were just explaining was how simplicity is a key to enjoyment sometimes you know the long I the long island iced tea is a is a complex mess of stuff to the point where flavors get lost and it becomes a mean to an end and i think with people who do have nine to fives and who are um you know their lives tend to be highly routine i mean mine and yours right now might not be as as routine as that but uh, for the vast majority of listeners out there i think you know you have a daily routine and that is something that you can get into. It simplifies, uh, you know, maybe you have your standard breakfast that you eat every day. Um, and so in addition to keeping your drinks simple, I think one of the things that you can also do is maybe work on pushing your flavor comfort zone a little at a time, right? Mm -hmm. By doing exactly what you said, uh, adding a little bit of spiciness to something that you've been drinking. If you've been drinking the same old fashioned every Friday night for a year, maybe it's time to make it a chocolate old fashioned. Maybe mm. it's time to take your martini and turn it into a Vesper, which is essentially a martini with a couple ingredient changes. Mm. Um, so I, I really like that advice. And I think it's really actionable for people. Whereas some of the stuff that you see out there, even on Pinterest or something like that, it just gets so complicated and it looks great and you want to do it. But then once you read the recipe, the barriers to entry are just like, whoa, I have to go on three different shopping trips just to make this. That is very similar to how I started the six o'clock scramble because everything was so daunting. Um, and, and I felt like, you know, making a meal doesn't have to be that complicated or that daunting. And you shouldn't have to go to too many specialty stores unless you want to, unless that's pleasurable to you. And so there are things that you can do that are really quick and simple and easy. Then on the other hand, if you are making um, a simple syrup or a honey syrup or an infusion, make a bunch because then you can bottle it and use it again in the future. And so I have one of those wax pencils and I label things and then I can play around with things the next time and, um, and use them again. And they make great gifts. Yes. Oh, such yes. amazing. And, and there's, it's scalable too. That's the, that's the thing I love about it. So if you have a ton of people on, whether it's a holiday or you just have a bunch of birthdays one month, or you're just one of those lucky people with a ton of friends, then uh, you can do a couple hours in the kitchen making your infusion and then you've got, you're all set. Somebody's got to tell me the best place, maybe you know, to buy cute, inexpensive bottles. 
Yeah, there's a, there, there's a couple of options out there. Um, we've worked in the past with Specialty Bottle. They're based mm. out of Seattle, uh, but they are an American company. Um, mm. So as opposed to, you know, if you're buying a bunch of bottles, it tends mm-hmm. to get a little expensive. So mm-hmm. they have some some bulk discounts, especially if you want to put them in small bottles. Mm-hmm. Uh, and their customer service is top notch. And they'll have some of those bottles with like the swing tops, mm. which are great for infusions. Um, so if you want to give them as a gift... Typically, if you're making like a syrup or something, depending on what you're infusing the flavor into, whether that's a vinegar or a sugar syrup or a spirit, it's nice to have that swing top on there um, to to keep it sealed in the fridge and and avoid it, especially if it's a syrup where you're worried about that, you know, bacteria or something getting in there. Yeah. Um, Yeah. There's so much to learn. So I think there's so many people right now who maybe because in some ways the world is kind of stressful, it's fun to geek out on food and cocktails and just learn something new and try it as long as it's not too complicated. I mean, I love also just making flavored syrups. And so if I'm going to make a syrup, I'll add a bunch of ginger to it or I'll add a bunch of mint to it. And they're so flavorful and so good. And then you can just mix it with a, you know, a spirit and some ice. And it's just an incredible drink. Yeah. And I always, I almost always add lemon or lime. Yeah, citrus is nice in a drink. I think I imagine when you were uh, in your shrub phase, you probably did a little bit less of the lemon yes. and lime. Yes, because they were fermenting. Mm-hmm. I do a lot of herbs too. Yeah. I think you and other folks out there should probably check out the episode I did with Colleen O'Brien, who's actually an apothecary. I did. Yes. That uh, was really interesting. She's one of my favorite people. And, and she's doing a really cool restaurant concept out in Virginia that's kind of herb centered. So that's oh. that's fun to, to check out. But um Getting back to the family side of things. So we've, we've kind of given a few tips for folks who are maybe out there and want to do some experimenting on their own. But you've also had a lot of experience working with people who have kids in the mm-hmm. equation. And here in the U.S., I feel like there's a, the approach to alcohol in a family setting is generally a lot stiffer and a little bit more difficult to talk about in a public forum without worrying about people getting their feathers ruffled than it would be in, say, a country like France or somewhere else. Oh, I'd love to ruffle feathers. Yeah, I want to to get your honest thoughts Uh on what it's like to create a family environment that is conducive to cocktails but also to kids. Are there things that we want to keep in mind? Um, Just what's your experience with that? Well... I probably have a different approach than some people. Um, I support an 18, age 18 um, for the age of drinking because there's so many other things that you can do when you're 18 and to be able to drink responsibly when you're 18 seems reasonable. So that's the way it is in our house, um, at least for our kids. And it was that way in the U.S. for a while, right? Wasn't it in the 70s yeah. when that changed? Yeah, I think, I'm not exactly sure when it changed. And some you know states did it at different times. But, um, but so my son who is in college, he's a junior, and he actually asked me to teach him how to make cocktails when he was home last time or teach him how to make a couple of cocktails. And so he and I will correspond about different things that he made and I make. So for him, it's not about just, you know, taking a big bottle of grain and mixing it with some crystal light or whatever we used to do in college. It's a little bit more about creating a good flavor and he likes to cook too. So it just is mixed in with that. And, um, and hopefully it's not just about drinking to excess. I do think that, you know, definitely I think parents... Um, need to make sure and drink responsibly around their kids if they choose to drink at all. And I, you know, I think there's nothing wrong for most people with having a, you know, a glass of wine or a cocktail with or after dinner. And, you know, but there is some, you know, I can see some concern around 
when parents, you know, come home and say, oh, I need a drink and, you know, what message it's sending to the kids. I can definitely, I, you know, I've, I've struggled with this a little bit myself. You know, I want it to be something that's pleasurable and that my kids have seen me cooking and they've taken up cooking themselves and they've seen me making cocktails. I do, I make a lot more cocktails than I drink wine and they are interested in that themselves and they taste them when I make them. And so hopefully that's something that they see as part of the pleasure of creation and enjoying something and not something that you just do to wash your cares away when you've had a hard day. Although sometimes I do that too. Yeah. You know, not um, too often, but sometimes it's, it's one of the nice side effects of cocktails is not only do you get the flavor, but you also kind of get the chemical response to relax yourself. Yeah. I right now am at the very beginning phases of something you started a while back and have now grown successfully, which is starting a business. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I perform better when it's seven o'clock and I still have to answer a bunch of emails if I'm drinking a cocktail, not just because I'm enjoying the flavor, but because it just gives that nice little stimulus to relax. And uh, so I think I think modeling, I think my takeaway here is that you're saying that modeling effective drinking, I say it like it's a skill, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, modeling effective drinking when there are kids present or you know, kids, teenagers, whomever, I think that's an important thing. Uh, and then I think an important question maybe to take away that we could be asking ourselves as a group, as a social group, whether that's American citizens or people in a, a friends group is, is the age where you get to start drinking more important or is the way that you do it more important? And one thing that I will say um, is I'm a really, really strong proponent of not drinking and driving. And so much so I have a, a breathalyzer in my car that you can order for about $100. That's pretty effective in case I or anyone else I'm with needs to be convinced that they shouldn't drive. People at first are always incredulous and then they all want to try it. Yeah. Well, uh, maybe I'll see if we can touch base and I'll get a link to that in the show notes. Sure. Yeah. Modernbarcart.com forward slash podcast. And you can just search for this episode with Aviva Goldfarb. And uh, we'll definitely have a lot of that stuff in the show notes, as well as pictures of the amazing cocktails that we're enjoying right now and uh, some of the answers to the lightning round questions, which we'll get into in a second here. But before we jump into those, I wanted to ask you in your travels of multiple different cookbooks and developing recipes for meals and for cocktails, are there any flavors that you tend to go or lean toward when it when it comes to innovating a cocktail or just putting your own twist on something? I am kind of a sucker for ginger. Uh, I just think it's such an interesting flavor and it, you know, it sometimes has to be used in moderation. Um, but it's, but it's just a great flavor. I think that, um, basil is an herb that sometimes is underused in cocktails. You know, a lot of people use mint and I really like that too, but basil is related to mint and it has its own um, wonderful flavor. And rosemary too, actually, can be um, can be something that's really good in an infusion and in a syrup. And, um, you know, I've become a big fan in recent years of different gins. So I feel like gins, you know, the botanical flavors in gins, and I went down to some of the distilleries in, um, in Ivy City and what's what's the Green Hat and, you know, what Green are some of the ones yeah. down there? And 1-8 and, uh, Distillery. 1-8 Distillery, right. Just tasting some of the different flavors in those and what you can do with those. So um, so I'm always experimenting, but I think there's some flavors, jalapeno, there's some flavors that I keep coming back to just because they're so 
pronounced and um, and easily accessible. Yeah, I, I like I, I want to return to ginger and basil because I think those are two great takeaways for folks. Um, they're they're super easy to work with, too. Mm -hmm. I mean, basil, you literally you can you can get a pot or you can just buy it straight at the mm -hmm. store. And literally all you have to do, you can do something as simple as make your drink normally and then take a couple of basil leaves and smack them on the back mm -hmm. of your hand. That's all you have to do is just smack them mm -hmm. on the back of your hand and <clears throat> place float them in the drink mm -hmm. or garnish. And you get this intense aromatic payoff where it's like it's a great bang for your buck because you really mm -hmm. don't have to process it all. Ginger, you do have to process, but that processing can look like really anything you want. You can turn it into a ginger syrup. Mm -hmm. You can slice it up into slices and then muddle it into the drink while you're prepping it. Um, or you can do something like a, like a puree or something like that. So there's lots of different options. You're not kind of stuck into one mode of processing. So two really good uh, go-to flavors there. And I will sort of like as a geeky cocktail, <clears throat> like taxonomy type thing, if you're making a, a cocktail that features heavily like the, the ginger note or whether it's a ginger beer or a ginger syrup, usually those cocktails are called a buck, like, mm. uh, like the deer, like the male deer. Um, so if you see something in a, on a cocktail bar that says either like a rum buck or a, you know something buck, then chances are ginger is going to be one of the primary notes in that. So just a little menu tip for folks out there. Mm. It's just so fun to try new spirits, even if you go to a bar and just, you know, ask the bartender, what's a new spirit that you're liking? I recently tried, I think it was a green chartreuse that uh, dates back to like monasteries in the 1800s and still made by monks or something. And it was such an interesting flavor. I'm, I'm trying to keep my green chartreuse nerd outs on the on the air um, to a minimum since I've done so many already here in this young podcast. But uh, I, I love chartreuse mm. um, and I, I was just down in new orleans at tales of the cocktail and i did a chartreuse master class tasting Ooh. where i got to taste all of some of like the old stuff that typically is not allowed to leave france and some of the the weirder creations they've done over the over the years so um yes Ooh, that must have been so fun is that conference annual it's annual i gotta go to that I next think year where is it next year it's always in new orleans oh i gotta go there's a good there's there's a, a good side and a bad side to that in that it's always in new orleans uh, but it is also always in late July. So it's like, Boy, a, like so, gosh, so they can get a great deal in the hotels. Yes. And so that's why <laughs> they do it, I think. But the, for folks who've maybe heard me mention Tales of the Cocktail once or twice, it's a, it's a great conference. And it's not just for industry folks, although it's heavily industry focused. They've been doing a really good job to make it more accessible to folks who are just cocktail enthusiasts. So don't feel... Uh, that you are going to walk in there and just get, you know, kind of excluded because you are not a liquor distributor or a brand rep for Bacardi or something like that. There's a lot of great stuff for enthusiasts and you can learn a lot, um, especially uh, by taste, you know, doing some of the tasting seminars. It's so fun. There's some great local conferences like that, too, that you can attend if you just like to learn a little bit more about food or cocktails. We, I'm a member of Les Dames d'Escoffier, which is a women in the culinary field and hospitality industry. And they put on, I think every other year, a, a conference in Rockville that's so interesting. And I went to a soy sauce tasting by the um, by the, oh, the CEO of Kikoman from Japan. And it was just learning so much about a product that we use so much and don't necessarily think about how they created it. It was a byproduct of creating miso. So it's just fun if you're, you know, so many of us are just, just like to geek out on this stuff a little bit. 
Yeah, well, we'll um, we'll have to throw in a link uh, to that organization in the show notes too, in case folks are interested. Uh, is yeah, it they a, put on some great programs. Is it national? It is national, but there's a DC chapter that does a lot of interesting programs. Okay, great. So we'll link to the DC chapter, and we'll try and give you access to the national stuff as well for folks who are listening in other parts of the country. Which I found out that you do exist. So if you're listening, <laughs> if you're listening in other places, thank you for listening. Uh, if if you're one of our international listeners, thank you as well. Um, so it is that time of the episode where I want to get into a couple of the lightning round questions. These are the ones, if you've listened to our podcast before, you should be familiar with. This is kind of, uh, just where we get to know our guests a little bit more and answer some cocktail related questions. So I will start off with, of course, the favorite cocktail. Uh, what is your favorite cocktail? And if you don't have a favorite of all time, what's something that you've been more interested in recently? Well, let's see. Recently, I have been interested in cocktails with pineapple. And there's a bar that I've been to a couple of times. For some reason, my husband and I have been invited to a lot of weddings, summer weddings in Aspen the past few years, which is an incredible place, expensive place, but an incredible place to go to summer weddings. And there's a bar that we discovered there called Meat and Cheese. And they have a really tiny bar in the back with an incredible bartender and he does infusions there and he has this big jar where he does this jalapeno and pineapple infusions and he makes these pineapple tequila with some with a pineapple tequila drink i can't remember what else is in it but it's got one of those sort of chili rims and just everything about it is so flavorful i can't it just wakes up my taste buds and i wish i remembered what was in it but that's been my favorite thing lately and i want to start doing more with pineapple i've noticed that when i i make a lot of smoothies also and when I put pineapple in smoothies, I tend to throw a lot of healthy ingredients and veggies. Everything tastes better. Pineapple kind of counteracts all the flavors that you might not love as much, like kale and things in smoothies. So I want to start playing around with pineapple more. Interesting. That's a really nice little tip. I, I, I had never, I had that, that had never occurred to me. Pineapple. Cool. And so, it looks cool in a jar. Yeah. I bet. So do you, if you were to do a pineapple infusion, would you do fresh pineapple? Yeah, for okay. sure. I would okay. cut up fresh pineapple and I even have one of those weird like pineapple things where you can core the pineapple just by twisting it. And so I would do like a whole pineapple thing in there. Oh, neat. And, and then you could eat the pineapple, though it's probably super intense. Oh, yeah. You might not want to do that. That sounds, well, you might not. You might. Well, you also might. <laughs> uh, <laughs> not so, everybody would. So the cocktail that you mentioned was basically just so people know what the constituents are, even if we don't know the ratios, it's tequila Pine and a pineapple, pineapple jalapeno, jalapeno syrup? sort of um, some sort of infusion. I can't remember. I'm gonna have to look up this place. But but if you're in Aspen, go to Meat and Cheese and ask that wonderful bartender to make you one. Um, but generally, when I look at a cocktail menu, I tend to be a sucker for anything that has ginger, jalapeno, grapefruit. And these days I am noticing on cocktail menus more and more things have elderflower. I'm starting to actually to get a little tired of elderflower. It's just everywhere. I really liked it a couple of years ago and now I'm getting tired of it. Yes. Uh, the lovely thing about elder, elderflower liqueurs is that they are delicious, but they, they get leaned on a lot in the beverage yeah. space. Bars that before the cocktail craze, I feel like bars that were making most of their money on selling sweet white wines mm -hmm. and sparkling white wines, as they transitioned to the cocktail space, they found a flavor comparison there in 
elderflower liqueur, which is sweet, it's floral, it's mm-hmm. delicious. But I, I think a lot of people have been kind of leaning on it pretty hard. Did recently. you go to that um, bartender contest um, at the? It was like the Washingtonian sponsored of uh, make the best cocktail thing. And I swear, more than half of the cocktails there had elderflower in them. Yeah, I didn't make it to that one, but I I, I heard I have, I actually I have a friend who who went and they they actually said the exact same thing. I, it was amazing. I was like, this trend has has jumped the shark. I don't know if that if that phrase has jumped has jumped the shark too. Yeah, well, maybe maybe the new trend that we can uh, emphasize is lavender. Of, yeah, lavender or grapefruit, jalapeno, pineapple. Yes. I think all of those uh, ingredients are things people are familiar enough with, but we haven't seen incorporated into too too many drinks. And maybe basil. Yeah, absolutely. Um, some just based on the flavor profiles that you've been describing, I, you're definitely a south of the border type person. You definitely I did grow up in California. Do you like mezcal at all? Yes. In fact, I have a bottle up there. Nice. Yes. With those, it took me a little while to come around to mezcal and now I really like it. It's oily. It's weird. It's made in a strange way, but it's pretty cool. If you can get around the smoke. Smoky. I know. Yes. So, um, that being said, we know your favorite cocktail. Um, what about uh, your favorite? Spi- so, if you if we're getting away from like the cocktail recipe itself, mm-hmm. what about your favorite single ingredient, uh, whether that's a spirit or otherwise? I would say f- for a while it was vodka, and then it was tequila, and these days it is gin. Um, and I, I just feel like gin has so much flavor that you don't need to do that much with it. And I'm always on the hunt for what the next thing will be. So if I hear about some interesting, you know, Pisco or some interesting spirit from another country that I haven't tried yet, I'm interested in trying it. I really liked, we went down to Nicaragua this past year and I really liked, um, they made a drink called El Macua, which was very fruity with rum. So then I was drinking a little more rum when I was playing around with those tropical flavors. But these days I think gin tastes kind of sophisticated and interesting. Mm. I love gin. Gin's my favorite spirit as well. And we're fortunate enough to live in a city that actually emphasizes gin. You know, DC has a great gin heritage. And I was speaking with somebody the other day and kind of speculating is like, is it possible for a city's history to actually influence the palates of the people who live there? Because I was making some cocktails recently and I had two options. I had a gin option and a vodka option. And usually when I'm just at a pop-up making cocktails, Folks lean toward the vodka option, but for some reason, the gin was way more popular and it was the less colorful drink. It was, there was nothing really to recommend it besides the fact that it was gin over the vodka drink. And so people usually tend to be conservative, but everybody went for the gin drink. So I'm thinking that maybe DC is just this great microclimate gin for gin drinkers. Gin is time. I think so. And I think some of those distilleries are really educating people about it. Yes. And I know Green Hat just launched a new gin. I think it's an old Tom style gin, um, mm. which is great now that we're turning back towards winter. It's still hot out here, but uh, some of the darker gin variants are fun to play around with when you're doing those wintry cocktails. So, And I do like a good beer. Yes. What's your favorite beer or beer style? Mm, I, I tend to be kind of light and crisp and fruity, and I like those wheat beers, and, um, and I'm kind of a sucker for those grapefruity beers. Mm. Um, so I am organizing a birthday outing for my husband's birthday. We're going to do a bike and brewery kind of thing. Very so cool. So hopefully we'll taste some new ones. Uh, around here or in Maryland? Yeah, we're still trying to decide, or I'm still trying to decide where we're going to go, but somewhere in Maryland or Virginia. Very nice. Yeah, but there were some great suggestions of places where you can where you can bike and brew. 
Nice. Yes, I'm a what's I'm your a favorite Belgian a Belgian guy. Ooh, so yes. kind of in the wheat beer space. Yes, and fruity, even like a little bit overboard. Uh, I have a friend who says who he won't drink he won't drink Belgian beer because he says it tastes like um, bananas and cardboard. Mm. And I just I couldn't disagree more. I, I can mm. see where the Belgian beers get the that that sort of reputation among IPA snobs, uh, but not being an IPA oh. snob, uh, I tend to like them a lot. So. <laughs> We had, we had, I was on, did you know that show Foodie and the Beast with Nikki and David Nellis? Oh, you should go on that show. I'm familiar with Nikki, yes. I don't think I've... They uh, do a show on Sundays that's so much fun and they have all these local show, right? chefs. It's a radio show on yes. Federal News Radio. Um, so anyways, they had this fun Belgian, Belgian chef from that Belga, is it? On there uh, yeah. and he was doing a beer tasting and there was this cherry beer that was really fruity. And he yes. said, can I say this? I guess I can say this on your show. You can, it's explicit, he said, yeah. He said, they call that a panty dropper. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. What's the, ch- oh, what is that called? Is it a cherry ghost or a, ch- uh, oh, a lambique maybe? Oh, I can't remember, but Something it was like so that. sweet and you just couldn't stop drinking it. Yeah. Very cool. Well, we don't get to talk about beer a lot, but I love to talk about beer. So I'm glad that you, glad you brought that up. Um, my favorite question. If you could have a cocktail with anybody in the world, past or present, who would you have that cocktail with? What would the cocktail be? And what would you talk about? Wow. I did not study up for this one. That is interesting. I'm such a big reader. Um, so I was thinking that it might be an author that I like and maybe somebody who's written one of the food. Um, I was thinking Anthony Bourdain, but he might actually be kind of an asshole. I'm not sure. I think you gotta like. I think you gotta like him and be okay with him. He, he, he <laughs> He'd seems be so edgy. much fun. Yeah. If he would be nice to me, I think I would really like Anthony Bourdain. Or if you could, maybe just sit in a in like a soundproof chamber and watch Anthony Bourdain and Julia Child have oh, drinks together. Oh, because that's so true. Because Julia Child is so delightful. And, and actually, one of my favorite people to have a drink or a meal with who is living and very vital is um, is a very prolific author and writer named Joan Nathan. And she writes a lot of cookbooks. They tend to focus on Jewish cooking around the world. And she writes for the New York Times. Super interesting. She's just so full of life. Every time I'm with her, I just laugh and I learn so much about food and its roots and where it comes from and different chefs. And and so she's one of my favorite people when we have time together to have a meal or a drink with. So I think the moral of the story is have drinks with a chef. I guess that's that seems to be where I'm leading. I was going to say Michelle Obama. Ooh, she'd but, be good um, too. She probably would be really cool too. All right, but so, we might get depressed and cry. So I think I'm going to stick with the food people. That's true. So if you were, so we've got the food people. What uh, what drink would you have? Let's say it's it's your you're meeting with your friend Joe Nathan. Uh, what what if, what would your dream drink with her be? You know, I would really. She's made me a lot of food, and because she has one of the those houses where she entertains a lot, so I probably would be really honored to make her one of these drinks so that she could try something that I make, which she doesn't get to do quite as much. So I would probably make her one of these honey, lemon, lavender. We haven't really given it a name yet. Well, cocktails. It's kind of, it's kind of a little, a little Ricky-ish maybe. Mm. It's, it's, a, it's a little, it's a little Ricky-ish, but it's also got kind of the infused side of it too. So it's, uh, 
Yeah, we'll have to think I'm of a name. We're going to have to come up with some sort of some sort of good name for it. Yes. Um, so that sounds like something, and she probably would come up with some really good story about where it relates to some, you know, Jews or Arabs in Persia, and and we would have a whole new story to go with it. Beautiful. Uh, one of the things I like about cocktail names is that, you know, some people say, some people are slow to come around to the fact that food and beverages are actually art. Um, I fully believe that there are, but people who are, you know, maybe in the academic space tend to maybe look down on the culinary arts a little bit as a formal art. Uh, and one of the things that I like to, uh, to, to mention is that, you know, people name cocktails in the same way that they name plays or poems or paintings or musical works. And so I think the name of, a, you know, the naming of a cocktail is, is a, a really, a uh, nice way to kind of bring it into that more artistic side, especially when it's something that you've created yourself. And I always feel like I have so many years and years of naming recipes that I always feel like there's this need to name it in a way that's going to make people want to drink it and a little bit know what it is. So yeah. sometimes people say, you should call it the, you know, whatever it is. I'm like, well, then people won't know what it is. And they won't, you know, so I, so I want to get the, you know, if I heard that something was a honey, lavender, lemon, something that would get me right away. Right. Yeah, it's that's an interesting problem. I've been trying to name a few new products that we've, we're about to come out with. So I'm, I, I can relate to you on that particular note. Um, are there any books besides your own that you found particularly influential if it's in the drinks space? Oh, not my own for sure. And there's this one that I'm looking for. I think it's called... I don't know about influential. I have a list of books that I want to read about cocktails that will be super influential, I'm sure. But there's this one that's really fun. I think it's called Eat Your Drink by this bartender in L.A. that I met at a conference. Do you know about that? No, Eat Your Drink. And that it's and he mixes so cool. food. I had this like arugula pineapple cocktail at a conference. I was at a um, IACP, International Association of Culinary Professionals Conference in L.A. or Hollywood last year. And he was one of the bartenders that was featured at one of the events. And his stuff was so delicious. It was right up my alley, but it had food in it. So you could kind of eat with a fork, the food in the drink. Um, and so I thought that was kind of a, a unique concept. And I have his book and I haven't made anything from it yet. Yes, that's pretty cool. I, that's not, that is one that we have not heard yet. So well, I will definitely link to that in Once the Once we're notes. done, I'll see if I have it over there. Cool. Uh, and what about, do you know any of the others off the top of your head that are on your list? The books that were recommended to me by bartenders I know are Death and Company. Do you know that one? Yep. Death, yeah, Death and Co. Death um, and Co. Death and Co. And I, yeah, they're a, they're a famous bar in New York. Oh. Yeah. And then Craft of the Cocktail, History of the World in Six Drinks. Ooh, I've heard of that one, but I have not read it. These would be fun. The Bar Book, <laughs> The Dead Rabbit Cocktail Book, mm. and Imbibe. Mm. What do yeah. you think I should add to my list? Um, those are all really good. I think the dead rabbit is also going to be more recipe heavy. Um, mm -hmm. I tend not to be a recipe book kind of person. I like books that have more of a narrative to them mm -hmm. or might be more historical. So a gr great example of that would be Imbibe mm. uh, or uh, Punch by the same author, David Wondrich. Uh, mm. Those are really good historical. So it's, it's a more enjoyable read for me. It gets yeah. me to commit to the book as opposed to just having it sit on my shelf. Yeah. So I absorb all the recipes while getting that. Yeah, I would um, enjoy the narrative too. But I got the Mr. Bi <laughs> Apparently, the Mr. This is something I learned at Tales of the Cocktail. I was doing a, a table at the Bitters and Books Market they have there. They just happen to have Bitters and Books in the same market. Mm. 
and I was sitting next to, during my time slot, the editor of the Mr. Boston Bartender's Guide, which mm. is super old. It's like its 75th anniversary printing, and this is the last printing that they're ever going to do in print. So if you want an updated edition of a book that is pretty much just like a ton of recipes that has pretty much every recipe you can imagine, uh, the, Mr. Bar- the Mr. Boston Bartender's Guide is this is the last print edition before it goes 100% di- digital. Oh. So we'll, we can talk off, off air about some other recommendations that might be a little bit uh, more narrative bo- based, mm-hmm. but also with recipes. But those are, uh, those are really good recommendations. And I will link to as many of those in the show notes as I possibly can. Okay, excellent. So before we wrap up and just give people a summary of how they can get in touch with you, do you have any advice to somebody who's just starting to get into cocktails and home bartending? Uh, Something that's fun is to talk to bartenders when they're not super busy. So if you go to a bar um, and the bartender's not really busy, that's a great time to talk to them and just ask how they got into bartending, what they've read, what they're, you know, enjoying experimenting with, and that might give you some inspiration. And then I think, you know, with anything that you're doing, you know, sometimes cooking is just a little bit functional because you have to. But I think that there can be a certain joy in um, in cooking too. And so I think that when you can, to make it a joyful experience and, you know, turn on some good music, take a breath, um, try to have some fun with it, do it with someone you love or do it with yourself and love yourself while you're doing it. Um, so I think just, you know, just turn down the pressure. And sometimes what I do actually on a very practical standpoint, a lot of times friends ask me to create a special cocktail for their events just because they know that I have fun doing that. And sometimes that's sort of fun because I can say to them, well, what's the ingredient? Like if some friends had a, a fundraiser, a political fundraiser, and they wanted it, it was a Georgia peach party. So I knew that peach had to be part of it. And I ended up creating a peach basil daiquiri. Um, But it was, and that was actually harder. Sometimes they come really easily. That one was harder than I thought, but it came out great ultimately. And that one is on my blog if people want to try it. But so what I'll do, because I don't want to waste too much money and ingredients is I'll make a little bit. So I'll, I'll kind of create, and I'll, I'll have friends over to try it, but I'll create small ones and kind of get a, you know, experiment with small amounts and try, what if we do this? And then I'll write, you know, you have to, I find that you have to write it down as you're doing it. And then, um, and then you can say, well, what if I add this? Is that better? Is that worse? And, and so just play around with it, play with your food a little bit, play with your drink, and then make sure that you write it down. And once you write it down, make sure that you can recreate it, that you wrote it down correctly before you give the recipe to somebody else. That is fantastic advice. Uh, I'm in the midst of doing a lot of tweaking of recipes myself and you do, I, I have spreadsheets. Ah. Uh, so, you know, if you're going to get really serious about it, that, that might be a good way to do it. And to take that full circle, that's especially important if you're doing the infusions, because when you're dealing with infusions, not only are you combining a bunch of things and then immediately consuming them, but you're dealing with variables like heat, for example, if you're doing a syrup, like how long do you boil your mint syrup, for example? How long do you leave the mint in there? Um, or if it comes down to like a bitter, homemade bitters, you deal with things like ABV, where, you know, do you want it to be, are you extracting it a super high ABV? Or do you maybe want to bring it down a little bit depending on the water What's solubility? Uh, alcohol by volume. Okay. So, okay. for example, like getting the difference would be there getting a vodka off the shelf at forty percent ABV, mm-hmm. ABV mm-hmm. eighty proof, or 
getting a bottle, like a little bottle of Everclear, which is generally they have they have a 150 uh, and they have a, a 190 as well. Mm. So um, those are variables where you can do the same recipe at different proofs. Uh, you can do the same recipe with if you're making a syrup with different boiling times. So mm-hmm. those are all things that you're going to want to write down as well. So that's really interesting and timely advice, um, definitely. Yeah, don't assume that you will remember anything. I always have little notes all over and I'll have different cups on different notes and and then be disciplined enough to type it up afterwards. Yes. And after a couple cocktails, sometimes that is a little difficult. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Save your notes. Yes. Um, so Aviva, thank you so much for chatting with us. We've covered a lot of really useful tips and I think uh, I'm going to be getting a lot of good feedback on this episode. So I'm excited to, to put it out. Um, but once people get a chance to listen to this if they have any questions for you or just want to join your community how do they do that that would be great and um and i look forward to hearing the rest of your episodes because i've been learning a lot so um so you can find me on instagram at aviva goldfarb and i also have a site where i'm sharing a lot of cocktails at avivagoldfarb.com twitter same kind of thing aviva goldfarb Um, so that is, those are the easiest places to reach me at the moment. Good deal. And we will link to all those in the show notes, modernbarcart.com forward slash podcast. And, uh, you can always uh, give us a little shout out. If you are maybe inspired by some of the flavor recommendations in this episode, uh, take a pic on Instagram or Facebook and tag us, and we will share it with our community as well. And kind of spread the joy of some of the knowledge that we're given out on this podcast. So Aviva, thank you so much. Thank you so much. It was a lot of fun. Love, love talking to you. Cheers. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. I just want to remind you that this episode might be over, but the journey and the discussion are just beginning. If you're excited about the content in this or any other episode, please tell us. Follow us on Instagram at Modern Bar Cart for recipes and great product tips or stalk me personally at Quixologist. That's Q-U-I-X-ologist. You can also like us on Facebook by searching Modern Bar Cart or hit us up directly via email by sending a note to podcast at modernbarcart.com. That email address, by the way, is also the one that you should use if you've got any cocktail or home bartending related questions you'd like us to address, or if you think you have a unique perspective on the cocktail world and would like to be interviewed for all to hear. I'll see you next time, but until then, drink responsibly and experiment boldly. Experiment boldly.